A few months ago, a friend of mine shared a story about an odd request that a school district received. He said that uh, one of the parents approached the principal at this school and asked for daily howling breaks for their child. Their family now identified themselves as wolves, and this parent wanted her child to be able to take a break from school to go outside, get down on the ground, and howl. Fortunately, the principal had the the foresight and uh, the the sense to decline such a request and encourage the family that all howling should be done at home with the rest of the family. How did we get here? This is a question that we should all stop to ask from time to time. It's a good question to ask from a personal standpoint. I think it's an important question to ask from a family standpoint. But I believe that it's vital when it comes to having a generational perspective. And so this morning, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 24 as we continue our series, Marks of a Leader, and you can start making your way there now. As you're turning, I want to say happy Independence Day uh, to everybody, and especially to those of you who are guests with us today. Thank you so much for joining us uh, with, and just trusting us with a little bit of your time on this holiday weekend. At this point in Joshua, uh, Joshua is an old man. He's experienced a lot of change. He's seen a lot of hardship, but he's also seen God work in some incredible ways. He knows that his time is coming to an end, and he wants to make sure that he leaves a lasting legacy among the people in Israel. So when it's time for Joshua to address the people for the final time, he calls all the tribes back to Shechem. Incidentally, Shechem is interwoven in the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Uh, It's been a special place of remembrance and alignment with God and what he's called them to do. In fact, just two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Rush preached a message called The Valley of Decision, uh, where he gave a little bit of the history behind uh, what happened at Shechem. I'd encourage you, if you're interested in that, uh, you can jump online. I think Parker in the video pre-service told you many ways you can go and you can look at some of the old messages. Uh, I'd encourage you to go look for The Valley of Decision if you want a little more background there. But Joshua calls all the tribes to this important place to have his final conversation with the people of Israel. We see that as he calls them back, he's basically answering the question for them, how did we get here? This is a how did we get here moment where he is going to challenge the people right before his death. And this morning, we are going to see that every believer can choose to follow the Lord by making three choices in light of our surrounding culture. The first 13 verses of the chapter 24, it gives a brief history of all that the Lord has done, all the ways that he's provided, everything that he's done to bring Israel to this point. But I love that the Lord starts this reminder by saying, hey, Israel, do you remember that I chose you from a family of idol worshipers. Joshua 24, look on with me in verse two. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshiped other gods. 
But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River, led him throughout the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac, and, sh- and so on. Uh, he goes on to remind them that he has given them everything that they have. And it culminates in verse 13 when the Lord says, I gave you a land that you did not labor for, cities that you did not build even though you live in them. You are eating from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. We have to keep in mind that Joshua had walked with Moses for years as Israel wandered in the wilderness. He had firsthand knowledge of just how quickly people can forget all the blessings, all the leadership that they had received from the Lord, all the things that God had done, and they can turn from that in a moment, allowing their sin, their pride, their selfishness to start running their lives. So after Joshua reminds the people of all the ways that God has provided, he draws a line in the sand and he asks them to make a choice. We'll keep reading in verse 14. It says, Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship the Lord. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today. Which will you worship? The gods of your ancestor, the gods your ancestors worship before the, beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Joshua led the people to this decision point, and he calls them to choose. He says, are you going to choose God, or are you going to choose the idols? And then as great leaders do, Joshua stands before the people, he puts a stake in the ground, and he says, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. You may have heard that growing up a little bit of a different way. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our mission pastor, Omar Garcia, is preaching at our central campus this morning. And while we were talking about the message this week, uh, he said something just revolutionary in my mind, which, to be honest, Pastor Omar, if you know him, he does that regularly. He just kind of drops wisdom and knowledge with no effort at all. It's remarkable. Uh, But he asked me this question as we were preparing. He said, what is the most spiritual thing that any person can engage in on any given day? So I'm going to ask you the same question this morning. What's the most spiritual thing that you can engage in on any given day? Your mind may run straight to things like prayer, reading your Bible, going to church, or if you're feeling especially spiritual this morning, maybe you're thinking the most spiritual thing that I could do today is share my faith with somebody who doesn't know the Lord. That's where my mind went immediately when Omar's asking me this question. But he went on to explain that all of my answers were wrong and then explained why. He said the most spiritual activity that you can engage in on any given day is making choices. You see, prayer is a choice. Opening God's word is a choice. Going to church is a choice. Breaking the law is a choice. Shooting off fireworks at 2 a.m. in the morning, keeping everybody in your neighborhood up is a choice. 
The most spiritual thing you can engage in on any given day is making a choice. Our choices will either move us toward God, towards his blessing, or our choices will steer us away from God to a life of shame and fear and regret. In writing the story of our lives, we do it one choice at a time. I love the way that the ESV translates Proverbs 13, 13. It says this, Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. To, bear, to paraphrase this verse, it says, To despise God's word, you'll find yourself in trouble, but if you obey it, you're going to succeed. In a sense, the entire Bible is a commentary on this single verse. And our lives, likewise, are a commentary on this single verse. It all comes down to a choice. A choice that Joshua clearly lays out before Israel with a simple question. He says, who will you serve? Jesus teaches a similar truth right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, 26, Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If we choose to obey and serve God, that choice will determine our attitude toward the other master. If we choose to obey the other master, that choice will determine how our attitude and our actions are before God. Pastor Omar, again, drops a a knowledge bomb on me when he says these words. He said, sadly, many people in the church today have just enough of Christ not to be able to enjoy the world. And just enough of the world not to be able to enjoy Christ. Let that sink in for just a second. Because as Jesus just said, you cannot serve two masters. Friends, all too often we try to play both sides, to please both masters. We neglect or, or we refuse rather to take a stand and make a firm choice. Especially in our society today, to take a stand, to make a firm choice, it's going to put us inevitably at odds with our surrounding culture. But friends, the first choice we must make, we should always choose courage over compromise. We should choose courage over compromise. It takes courage to know what you believe and to stand up for it. We've seen this trend throughout our study in Joshua. We've seen it several times in Joshua, the person. We've seen it in Rahab as she was choosing to go against Jericho. It takes courage to choose the Lord and to quit playing both sides. Everywhere we turn, we are asked to compromise, to give just a little bit for the sake of someone else, to give just a little bit for this different principle, for this different side. I found a very powerful video that I think illustrates for us what compromise does to us over time. This is the cumulative effect of compromise. Take a look. Start walking, you doggone long-eared galoot. Just 
Just a minute, partner. You can't talk to me like that. Them's fighting words. Yeah, them's fighting words. I dare you to step over this line. Okay, I'm a-stepping. I dare you to step over this one. This one. This one. That one. That one. This one. That's a silly example. But every time we compromise, every time we leave our convictions and we step across that line, we get closer and closer to our demise. The intention of the world is to press us into its mold. And that pressure has perhaps never been greater than what we are experiencing right now. Everywhere we turn, we see compromise. We see it in families, in businesses, in churches, in schools, in governments. Compromise happens when we make choices based on the whims of a culture rather than on the wisdom of God's word. We must choose courage over compromise. Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, So that you will be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you are to shine like stars in the world. How? By holding firm to the word of life. We are to be different from the surrounding culture. We are to stand out like lights in the darkness. And we do that when we hold firm to the word of life. Our choices must align with the truth of God's word. Not our opinion, not a new philosophy, but the word of God that is unchanged for generations. I want to say a quick side note. Having the courage to take a stand isn't a license for any of us to be a jerk for Jesus. Do you know that guy? I've met that guy. It's not a license to be a jerk for Jesus that when opposition comes, we just say whatever we want to say. We don't care about them. We don't care about their heart. Because if we're going to take seriously the commands that we have in Scripture, we got to look at the whole of Scripture. And then we go to a place like Luke 6, where Jesus says this, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Just because you don't agree with those who hold views contrary to the views of God's word does not mean that you hate them. The best way to love someone with whom you disagree with is not by compromising what you believe, but rather by courageously, courteously, and compassionately demonstrating and advocating for the love of God and the word of truth. So who will you serve? Not only must we choose courage over compromise, but we also need to choose clarity over confusion. Friends, we are living in a confused culture. We are constantly being pressured to embrace positions and affirm behaviors that run counter to the teachings of Scripture. 
We are pressured to go along, to get along, if you will. And if we dare to take a stance on the truth of God's word, if we draw a line in the sand and say, no more, we're not going to move any further, then we're labeled as hateful and intolerant, which incidentally is a position of hate and intolerance. When we're pressured by our culture to accept these positions, these behaviors, what we must first do is determine what does God have to say about these positions and behaviors? Because the issue is not how we prefer to live our lives. The issue at stake is understanding what has God said about how we are to live our lives? What are the things that we are to stand for? And then making the choice to obey him. We must not risk offending God because we're too scared to offend people who have adopted ideals that go against the truth of his word. It is possible for us to love things that God hates and in the process, add to the fog of confusion that is swirling around. Joshua knew this possibility, so he made it abundantly clear to the people of Israel what they would be looking at should they choose to go against God. He writes in verse uh, 19, but Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship the Lord because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions and sins. If you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods, he will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been so good to you. We must choose the clarity that the Lord provides over the confusion of the world. There are real consequences for leaning into the confusion of the world, for accepting a muddy decision, a clouded path that is in opposition to clear teaching of Scripture. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, encouraging them to grow up so that they will no longer be little children tossed by waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. There may be no better example of the state of confusion that we live in than thinking about a boat lost at sea being thrown around by the waves. In that situation, there would be just an unbelievable amount of fear. It would be incredibly dangerous. And that is exactly what it's like trying to keep up with the ever-changing ideas of politics, truth, acceptance, correctness. We choose clarity of the word of God to be sure that, as Paul writes in Colossians 2, that we are careful that no one takes us captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ, our example, our God, our Savior. Remember that while our, con- our culture is confused about everything from gender to genocide of the innocent unborn, God is not confused. There is no confusion in heaven. So, friends, would you choose God today? Choose the clarity that comes when we embrace his word and stand firm on his truth. So who will you serve? Finally, 
we must choose Christ over convenience. We are living in the midst of a collapsing culture. We find ourselves living in a world that is imploding under the weight of its own ignorance. There is a great lack of intelligence and common sense with the inability to think clearly. How is it that in the last 20 years, we have lost the ability to tell the difference between a man and a woman? We began this morning with a real example of a family that now identifies as wolves. We don't have to look any further for other examples to see the collapse that is happening all around us. Convenience says that we need to roll with the punches, that we need to keep our heads down, and we need to not make a fuss about what's going on around us. But choosing Christ says that we must take a stand because of our love for God and our love for people whose eternity is at stake. It is not loving to allow your neighbor to go through life thinking that they are a wolf, not knowing that a savior chose them, died for them, and desperately loves them. That is not a loving position to take. It's not loving to sit on the sidelines while the innocent unborn are being slaughtered. It's also not loving to pick a fight and belittle someone on the other side of the argument. We are to speak the truth. We are to share the truth, to take a stand for what is right, but we are to do so in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Our example, our rabbi, our teacher, our savior. Jesus Christ, who came to this earth out of a great love for us, out of obedience to the father, he came full of grace and truth. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's talking about Jesus. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That is the standard. That is our example. We are to love like Jesus did. If you look through the New Testament, especially as Jesus interacted with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you'll quickly see that he shared the truth with anyone who opposed his message but he never wavered on his position and he always loved those around him in the process. And I love the challenge that Joshua puts before Israel. He reminds them of what God has done. Here's how we got to the promised land. Here's all the ways that our God has provided for us. And then he says, it's time for you to make a choice. He doesn't give them room to go home and mull about it. He doesn't give them time to just say, I'm gonna back away. I'm gonna give a little distance from this challenge to my decision, which is what I would have wanted to do. No, he makes it very clear. He says, but if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves today 
which will you worship? The gods your ancestors worshiped before the, beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living? As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. We shouldn't delay in making the choice to follow the Lord. Joshua encouraged the people to align with God today. And friends, there is no better day to make that choice than today for yourself, and for your family. So who will you serve? We must choose the wisdom of God over the opinions of the world. His word over the unstable and ever-changing view of a culture in crisis and confusion. So who will you serve? It's easy to look at our culture, at our society, and get fired up about everything that's happening around us, to wag our finger at the world and say, how can you do that? How did we get here? But before we can influence and change our culture, before we can influence and change the people that are around us, we must first begin with ourselves and our families. We must first make the choice for ourselves and our families, to follow and worship the Lord. So have you chosen Jesus today? Are you leading your family towards Jesus today? Does your life reflect that choice? Or are you still trying to play both sides Joshua says, choose for yourselves today. So who will you serve? Don't put off for tomorrow what should be done today. Who will you serve? I can tell you this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we humbly come before you this morning asking, Lord, that God, you would just remind us of all the ways that you have blessed, that you have moved, that you have provided through the mountaintops and the valleys. God, you have walked with us. And Lord, as we remember you We thank you for loving us as only you could. And so, Father, I pray that today would be the day of decision for so many families where we say, I'm not going to dabble in the world anymore. I don't want enough of the world that I can't enjoy you. But today I'm choosing to love and to follow you, Jesus. Today, I will worship you, Jesus. Today, I will serve you, Jesus. God, that's the cry of our heart this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that as only you can, would you uh, make that possible? Would you have grace in our failures? Would you give us encouragement to continue to take the next step, to start a conversation with our spouse, to, to enter into those tough conversations with our children? But God, more than anything, would you be glorified in our lives, 
in our homes as we seek to follow you and to choose you today. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.